What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Clip and Roll. I'm your host, Justin Russo. What's up, gentlemen and ladies? I'm your other host, Farbad Esnashari from Sports Illustrated. This podcast is being brought to you by Bet Online, your online wagering solution, and Blue Wire. Farbad, documentaries seem to be the thing these days. I personally today have been watching a documentary series on Netflix. It is called Trial by Media. It is absolutely riveting to me because I remember a lot of these things taking place in the media landscape when they happened. Um, but obviously, most people now, with The Last Dance wrapping up on ESPN, a 10 You got The Last Dance, Michael Jordan. You got The Last Ride with The Undertaker. Yeah. What's the next <laughs> last what? The last... The, the, the last day, because Apocalypse is upon us with all this stuff happening. But... um. You know, and like then there was like McMillions dropped this year uh, from HBO. Like documentaries seem to be McMillions f- definitely sounds like a nickname from like Superbad. Well, it's about McDonald's. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's about the twelve-year-long uh, scheme to defraud the Monopoly game. M- Monopoly is a game they played at McDonald's. It is, and. A select few people found a way to infiltrate it, and uh, basically, I think at one point, they were told that about $24 million in prizes, and it was a select handful of people. Wait, really? Oh, yeah. How was I not in on this? Usually, I figure this stuff out. Because the guy, this is a spoiler, the guy who was the top guy in terms of like the scheme was like the head of security for the security firm that handled the game. Oh, okay. That makes so, sense. like, yeah, like it was, it, it was super high up. But, um, you know, documentaries are a riveting thing because they're a great way to digest information of a time where you kind of forget everything that happened, or the behind the scenes things, or things of that nature. 
And Quibi just released a series called Blackballed, which is about the Donald Sterling racist tape made to v- made in the presence of V. Stiviano and the backlash and ramifications that the Los Angeles Clippers basketball team had to deal with while that happened. And the eventual- should she get a statue at Staples Center or no, just please I don't want I don't even like saying her name. <laughs> but but um it's it's an instance where it's a documentary of a team that we love, of a team that we cover, of a team that we see day in and day out, you know, 48 minutes a night, all this stuff. So obviously it has a direct impact and well, a it also covers their whole playoff run. So it goes 50-50 between the Sterling tapes and also the playoffs the playoff run in 2014 with the Warriors and the Thunder. Yeah, and you know, as we can recall that that was that was a very emotional time, not only as a fan, but as just a person watching everything happen. I mean, I was obviously a Clipper fan. I covered a little bit of stuff at the time. Um, I went to all the playoff games that year. I, you know, that I was just, the only year they didn't have an injury to Blake or Chris in all of Lob City. That was the year Hito Turkler got injured, so that's why. Just Damn. was Wait, was Turkish Jordan even on their team at that time? Yeah. Oh, okay, I thought he was there the year after. He was there for two years. Oh, damn. How yeah, I mean, He was really, like, I know this is a quick sidetrack on what I was talking about, but he was actually good for them. Hey. I mean, he shot the three really well, man. He shot the three really freaking well, and that was the thing that they needed the most. But um, documentaries evoke emotion. And you and I lived through that time, you more than me, because as we're going to get into, you have firsthand accounts of things. But, you know, it's quick sidebar. Has anyone ever told you the way you sound kind of sounds like Rob Lowe? I wish I looked like him. Because the way that is money. documentaries reminds me of Saturday Night Live tape where Rob Lowe is like, the trampoline, child's play toy, or vicious backyard killer. I thought you were going to say how he was in uh, Parks and Rec where he says, he says literally the greatest thing. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, you know, as I was saying, though, documentaries evoke emotion for you and I who covered the team in, in various ways and you behind the scenes at the time, it's an era of the team that is both depressing, chaotic, and also endearing in a lot of ways because of how close-knit the team came together over everything that happened. So I'm going to let you take it away because, you know, this documentary told the story of everything that happened from the tape to, obviously, as you said, the playoff series uh, that unfolded in, in the process. So you're there. It drops. What is your recollection of everything that happened? So it's it's really interesting because I haven't really spoken about this. And I was an intern uh, when that happened. And I remember when I saw the news of the Sterling like tapes, I was in my friend's garage and everyone was playing beer pong. And I was just like, "Eh, typical Sterling, like what's new? And then the next day I was like, oh, shit, this is a big deal. And I, I had no idea it would spiral into what it became. And then like things transpired so quickly. It was like, I, cause we had office hours as interns and like 
everyone was just crying in the office and they were getting calls of just like, how could you work for a racist? You're a POS because you work for this racist. You're an Uncle Tom. Like just one after the other nonstop. And mind you, at the time, I'm in the sponsorship department and like every sponsor drops out of the team. And then we're just like, so what do we do for work? Because we have nothing to do. And then like... I remember Doc had to individually console each like member of staff one by one and which is why he has like the keys to the kingdom that he had, you know, where he could was the end all be all and so some of the things that people don't realize is like for instance, like uh this might get me in trouble or whatever, but like uh three or four years ago, five years ago, like certain things on the clipper social media account, they couldn't get away with stuff because certain players had images where they were like, you guys can't do this. So that was why you never saw like the Clippers have these Atlanta Hawks or Sacramento Kings type posts where they were having a lot of fun and bantering with people. So there's just so many inner workings about stuff like that, that you, you wouldn't really know until you're inside. And um, I remember, so I, what I want to talk about specifically is game five. Because that was a big point in the documentary. They're talking Against about the Warriors, right at home. The sponsorless game, too. Yeah. Real quick, I was at that game, and I will never forget the eerie feeling being in that arena when you looked around. Everything was tarped off with black. Because, like, for people who've been to Staples Center for games, when you sit down and look around the concourse level and in the stands. You'll notice like above the tunnels, you'll see like a Staples logo or just any any other kinds of logos that are around. All that stuff was tarped off in black to where there was nothing. The in-game's optics for that game, non-existent. Like in the during the timeouts, there was nothing. No promoted things. No, it was literally like you were at a high school game with just NBA players. Yeah, and it was... It was so wild because, like, so game five is a is a big thing that they talk about in the documentary and just about how good it was for the players. Because in the documentary, the players are talking about, like, they were worried they were going to get booed when they came back to game five. And truth be told, like, I was pretty worried that they were going to get booed because there were so many people being like, oh, they should just protest the games. They shouldn't even play. And it's like. You had guys like Mark Jackson saying they shouldn't play at all and forfeit the series. And it's like, well, duh, you're going against them. You're going to say that. And they instructed us not to talk to any media. They instructed, they like trained us to be like, you're, you're going to try, people are going to try to interview you as interns and try to get dirt out of you. Like, don't say anything. And like, I'm going to the arena and there's just protesters everywhere, which was wild. And like, so we had to wade through the protesters and my job is sponsorships and there's no sponsors to have. So like, I have no job that day. So I'm just kind of hanging out, which is kind of cool. And, uh, Oh, oh to, 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 to sum up the protest real quick. This is on April 29th. That game is at 7:30 PM local time. About two hours before the game in a press conference, Adam silver bans Donald Sterling for life. And those pre- protesters outside the arena were there to go ape if he was not banned for life. Yes. And they were so, there. So we, this is one day, literally all encompassing to one day, him being banned and game five 
are two hours apart. And we get to what's what's wild is we get to the arena at three thirty. So like it hasn't been banned. <laughs> we get to the arena. And like we get to the arena at three thirty, so all the protesters are everywhere. And then they kind of train us a bit and then like uh, I remember uh they made twenty thousand shirts that said we are one. Mm-hmm. I have one. No, they didn't hand them out. So no, they, no, no, I have I have another version. Oh yeah, that, so that that was given to me at the game by someone. So they made twenty thousand of those to hand out to everyone in the crowd. Chris Serafino, from what I remember, who is their social guy at the time, actually designed the We Are One campaign. Um, and so he designs it. They 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 make these all into shirts. And I guess Doc or someone in the coaching staff, I'm pretty sure it was Doc, heard that it was sterling's money that they used and he was just like f that we're not going to use them so they literally had like twenty thousand shirts in boxes just in the tunnel or they call it the cage so the cage is where they store all the in arena items for every team like lakers kings sparks clippers and so they just had like twenty thousand shirts just chilling by the cage the entire playoffs basically and then they ended up donating all of them but it was just it was like that's something like nobody ever knew about that they had all these shirts prepped to go and Doc just didn't want to use Sterling's money, which is pretty admirable. And you, then you um, remember the we are one thing in the aspect of the Clippers turned their website into like a like it was a black website with just we are one and the Clippers logo, and then other NBA teams did similar things that day. Yeah, everyone started. Doing it. it became the whole. I think it became a whole commercial campaign. I, I believe so. Like, it, like think about that day. And like I know, like I know, we've talked about the protests and we've talked about the banning, and now we're getting into Game Five. But literally, the entire NBA comes together on this "We Are One" campaign to show solidarity in an event, in a way, in an event that we've never seen before on that level. Yeah, it was kind of weird because you would think that would have been the moment to turn them into America's team, and like um, I think they tried, man. They tried. Well, so it was interesting because in that series they were, I don't want to jump too far, but when the next series came and then the trial, the trials happened and all the other Sterling stuff happening, they kind of lost that luster. But if they managed to persevere over OKC, I think they would have become America's team because it would have been the, it would have been the team that overcame the racist owner versus the Miami Heat, who were the villains of the NBA at the time in the finals. Like that would have been Jedi versus dark side type stuff. They would have had to go through the Spurs, but I, I mean, I mean, if they handled the Spurs the year after, I think they could have. Maybe I mean, either way, they would have been in the Western Conference Finals against basically a dynasty. So you'd have, you would have had this team that is an under literal underdogs going through it is going through something that no other team has really ever had to deal with. And then when you're in a postseason run against a Doc, dynasty, Doc has to coach. In the middle of him coaching for a playoff team where you're on game five, it's two to two, like the most important game of the series all the time, just to console a bunch of staff members because they're all crying, which is like, what coach has to do that? You might as well make him the owner of the team at that point. And uh, I remember, and I still have the LinkedIn messages, like I had reporters who are pretty famous reporters, but I just didn't know at the time. And like when I say famous, I mean like millions of followers like DMing me, asking me for advice on how they be- how they could become an intern at the Clippers, and like they were being serious. 
and I have like the whole text message exchange and like I had no idea who this guy was and then like a month later or a couple of years later I was like oh man you made it big congrats and like stupid me who was like 21 had no idea he was already a big deal and he was just trying to kind of infiltrate to figure out what was going on in the inner workings of the Clippers so it's like that type of stuff was regular where you had people trying to figure out a way to like infiltrate and get info from the interns to see what the inner workings were to see what they could get out of them and um so game seven happens which is really which is one of the craziest moments ever but i'll never forget like and i can't remember if i've said this on the podcast but like right after the clippers won oh you've, yeah, you've said this i have jermaine o'neal trying to fight somebody like jermaine o'neal tries to fight uh someone because he thinks someone talked trash but it ended up being like a coach or something and then like nobody wanted to snitch and then it became a big like say say who it was then and they didn't want to snitch and then everyone got involved and they they kind of praised the guy who Jermaine O'Neal got in the face of for not snitching now Uh, think about it from this perspective too game four when all this stuff's going on the Clippers get absolutely hammered on the road like, they obviously do the thing where they take off their warm-up shirts, they're inside out, they throw them at center court, and they get absolutely shellacked from the opening opening tip. Yeah. And it's 2-2, and they come back home, and the Warriors and the Clippers have all this animosity. They're not going to chapel together. They don't like each other. All these things. And Game 5, you know, there's the protest outside. And even before Game 4, there was the talk of a boycott. And obviously that didn't happen. But game five always felt like therapeutic for the Clippers because it was a really weird game. Like obviously they win, they win by 10, but one of the strangest things that will always stand out to me from that game, DeAndre Jordan was the leading scorer. I don't remember that. What do you have? Like 20, 25 and 18. Wow. (laughs) Like, you know, we, we often forget about him when, when we talk about Chris and Blake from those years and all this stuff. But a guy who was very emotional and was on this documentary about this showed up in a huge way in a very hard situation. That was when they were starting David Lee, right? At center. Yeah. That's why that happened. David Lee I had 18 that, and 10 that, series, that game. <laughs> that series kind of took a turning point because they that's when they decided to start Draymond in the middle of that series. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, this dude's actually doing a pretty decent job on Blake. Yeah, I think they started Draymond, I want to say like game four. Something like that. And game four was the game where like they kind of like were like, oh, uh, we should probably keep starting this guy. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. Game four was the first game Draymond started. And they end up winning that game in a blowout. They The Clippers beat them in game five by ten. Warriors win game six by one. But I think it was like four before three at the buzzer or something. Yeah. And then they win game seven. Draymond was absolutely incredible in game seven. He hits five threes. And I remember being there in attendance watching it. And my friend that I was at the game with, I remember turning and saying, Draymond and Iguodala are hitting threes. And I'm kind of okay with that because no one else was doing anything. And then obviously in the fourth, Steph goes off because he gets to the free throw line like a hundred times that night. Um, real quick, funny side story from that game. I have a picture of a really sad Golden State Warriors fan at the end of that game. Is that the lady and her kid? No, no, no. This is this is a guy who was next in the row next to me. He's seated on the stairs 
that go up to the 206 section, I believe I was sitting. He's sitting there with his head in his hands with about five seconds on the clock. (laughs) I took a picture of him and I vividly remember telling him, I'm really sorry, but I have to do this. And he looked at me and goes, I understand. (laughs) That's like me when the Houston series happened, but. You know what, though? They win the title the next year, so I don't know how... That guy's probably happy, so... Well, like, it was... So that Game 5 game was so interesting, because, like, going into it as staff, you had you literally had no idea what to expect, but then it almost kind of felt like a funeral, where we're like... Yeah. So should we not? Because our, our button-ups have the Clipper logo on it, and it was like, so should we not have our logo on stuff? Like, should we just wear not our button-ups? Like, what do we do? There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament that you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. That's betonline.ag, promo code B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. So Farbod, this is great for you. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E. Chew.com promo code Blue Wire B L U E W I R E Blue Wire. Go to bluechew.com today. Yeah, I that's a tough needle to thread, ain't it? Yeah, because when you're working and you're an intern or even just an employee of the team and all that stuff comes out, his comments don't just affect the brand or the name of the club, they don't just affect the players and the coaches. They affect everyone that works under that umbrella because those people then start wondering what it means for their jobs. uh, What it means, like basically if they're going to get fired over this, like if new new people come in, they don't know if they're going to get, you know, uh, approached by media members. Like you said, you did like, they don't know what to do. And something as trivial as should I show the logo, it might seem like, oh, that's a weird thing to kind of worry about. But in the, in that time, 
that was a valid thing to have to wonder about. And it, you know, it was funny. It was like the moment where I was like, oh, this is for real, for real, is when True Mash dropped out of a sponsor because, like, that was legit. When we were in our sponsorship team, like, True Mash was like the sponsor. Like, they. They had the most of everything. And when True Mass dropped out, I remember we were just like, so what are we going to do? Because, like, that's the one. That's the one that was our three-point contest. That's the one that, like, puts the most money. And they and they never came back after that, which is kind of wild. Yeah, because it ended up going to, um, uh, what's their name? Agua Caliente, right? And Commerce. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, like, th- even that, like, they didn't come back which is kind of wild. Yeah, I mean, no one ever uh, like anticipates the like the sponsorship hit cuz I'm trying to remember, do you remember uh I believe several years ago they had the met, the, the ride metro. Like remember whenever someone on the other team would travel be like, "Oh, that's traveling yeah, ride metro." Glenn Davis, they had Grant Hill, they, they had, had Jared Hill. Dudley. Yeah. And one of the funny things that my friends and I would joke about is every year, whatever guy did that was always gone the next year. You know, it's funny when all that stuff happens. Like, I don't know. I don't know if this is how they still operate it, but like in 2013, when I had to do it, like, so every time somebody made a three, they did that. He's got money. I think, I think it was Chumash. He's got money. I can't, mm-hmm. I think it was Chumash or commerce. And every single time they hit a three, there is an intern who is on a spreadsheet calculating how many times that ad spot ran and having to tally all of those up in Excel so they can put it in a sponsorship deck. I don't know if they still do this, but I remember there was a game where Crom Butler hit like eight threes and I was like, yo, I was just like, you d-. like, I, I have to tally all these up. Like there were so many little things where you're like, really? That's someone's job to do that? And like, yeah. But it's always, I think I've talked about on here before, but like to this day, I don't think anything is more stressful or more wild than watching a game seven game as an intern for a team. Because like when you're, when you're contract, cause I was contracted for a time too, but like when you're contracted, like it's kind of assumed you'll be back and you're going to come back. But when you're an intern, there is no a hundred percent like, oh, he's going to be back. So like literally as soon as the game is over and you lose game seven or you win game seven, if you lose game seven, everyone's crying. Everyone's it's like, it's the last day of high school and you're never going to see your friends again. Cause they're moving far away for college. And it is the most like overly stressful thing. Cause you walk into the arena, super jacked up, like as if whatever you're going to do is going to affect the game. But then if they lose, it literally affects you. So then it's like, okay, so people make fun of fans when like people get all riled up over a game, but it's like, wait, if they lose, I'm out of a job. Right. And or like, or I don't see my friends anymore. And that like to this day, like that is still the wildest thing. And I always think about that when I watch the playoffs, I always think like, oh man, there's probably 200 interns at this game, like freaking the F out when Damian Lillard just hit that game winner and sent the Thunder home, you know? Because we, I th- kind of think of it in similar terms, like it's not just a team of players and coaches that get affected by any one little moment. It's an entire organization from the top down. Yeah, that's that's the thing. And like they all come, like a lot of the other people come back. Some people don't. But for the interns specifically, 
it's like it is a nightmare. And I, I, I do remember I had the same experience on my last year as being a contractor because literally none of us knew if we were coming back. It was all it was all up to Clippers ownership whether or not we were going to come back. And I and that was the that was the Blazers year I think or the or no is either the Blazers year or the Jazz year. And like I would get so stressed out that like I used to have this is going to be wild, but I used to have tendonitis in my thumb when I was eighteen, which is like what kind of eighteen year old gets tendonitis? But like I used to have tendonitis, and I would get so stressed out watching these games that the tendonitis would come back. Like that's how stressful. <laughs> Real quick, when I found out the Sterling thing dropped was actually before it dropped on TMZ. I when I at the time. I was writing for Clips Nation and I had after shortly after this, like they go through like the rebranding and I break that story on Clips Nation about like who really did the rebranding and all this stuff. But before that, I still ha- I had a source in the organization and I get a text message that night that the story drops about 30 minutes before it does. It was about 10, 10, 15 at night because the story really dropped pretty late. Like Which, TMZ, one? yeah, TMZ yeah. dropped that late at night. I remember because I was like, we we're playing beer pong at like 11 p.m. and I was just like, <laughs> yeah, like it was ra- it was such a randomly late time to break a story. Well, at about 10:15, I get a text, and all the text message said was, "Just be ready for a storm." And I just text back, "What are you talking about?" And the text, the text I get back in return is, "Just wait." and watch and sure enough 40 half hour 45 minutes later this thing drops and all i could text back was holy because we like i knew what kind of person he was just based on past stories but the the other things were worse yeah the other things were way worse like the wreck like the like the like the tenant situation all this other stuff yeah it's just astro- like obviously that stuff was astronomically worse but i mean we, we can get to do it another time i kind of feel like why this was viewed as so bad because he also goes after magic johnson and it and, was just so public yeah it was just yeah it was like it was like what the hell dude you know like, what, though, you like when i would see him in the office like he was so senile by that point because like i would see him in the office he's insane and it was weird because like when he'd come to the office, everyone would be like, just shut the F up. Don't talk. Just shut up. Just shut up. And like everyone would just kind of freeze and not really say anything. And he wouldn't be in the office that like he would barely be in the office, to be honest. It was like Andy Roser ran things, right? And Andy Roser was basically the owner for a while. Yeah. In the same way that Gillian kind of just runs things now. But he, he would come into the office and he was literally that like uh cliche kind of senile old person that was that would be like i could have sworn and i could have sworn i've seen this myself he was walking in the hallway and he asked if like somebody was still working at the company and like his security guard was like no i'm pretty sure you fired him and he was like oh okay and just kept walking he now as i said like i knew about his past so what happened didn't shock me However, what shocked me was, and this is going to sound weird, he had been pushed to the back burner for like a two-year stretch to where it allowed you to actually think things were okay. 
Yeah, and he, then and then Donald Donald. He put he was so pushed to the back burner. It just was one of those things where it's like that's my racist grandpa. <laughs> like that's kind of how it felt. And and it was funny because like the further he was distanced from the team, like the longer you went until like where you didn't hear about him, you actually let yourself believe things are different. And then it comes out that tape drops at like eleven at night. And you realize things are really not that different. He was just saying this behind closed doors, and now they're open doors, and, well, he's screwed now. Well, they were different in the aspect of, well, Doc got to trade for JJ. Like, that, he was so hands-off then compared to before, like, the Baron Davis. Like, the Baron Davis years, he's heckling Baron while he's playing. Courtside! So, like, he was so much more senile and hands-off, I feel like, at that point than, you know, five years prior that it was a little bit different, but it was still, but it was still one of those things where like Clipper fans get an argument with Laker fans and Laker fans would be like, yeah, well you got to raise his owner. And then you're like, well shit, I don't know what to tell you. I do <laughs> like, there's nothing yeah. you can say back to. Yeah, like, what are you going to tell them back? Like, Oh, was, ah, you got me. Like kind of like, ah, ha, 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 figure guns, baby money for my owner. Ha ha. Right. Yeah. Like it's, you know, he had gone so long without saying anything or like creeping up in the news that it really did let you believe like, all right, like things are different. Like, okay, like, all right, we have a chance. And it's funny you mentioned the JJ Reddick thing because I believe it was like David Aldridge was talking the other day like, oh, yeah, like one of the things was uh, Donald certainly really didn't want to trade for JJ Reddick, but Doc had to threaten that he was going to quit if he didn't trade for Reddick or like because they gave Reddick because Doc gave Reddick his word and, you know, Doc's a big my word is my bond guy. And basically Sterling like was like, oh, okay, like whatever, fine. The funny part is that's not new news. I've known about that for years. I know you've known about that for years. That was like a very like dirty little secret that had been making the rounds of like, you know how weird this was is like Donald Sterling didn't even want a white guy on his team because he didn't think he was good enough. You know, I just remembered it right now. Uh, So we used to have to work the VIP ticketing booth uh, table in in front of the Staples Center and that's where tickets for like Donald Sterling's friends would come through. So like we would have to hand his friends tickets and like his friends were all so weird and they were, it was just like, does that always, shock you? No, but no, but it's like, you could always tell who was a Sterling guy. Cause like they would kind of come at you with this like Vincent price kind of like, hello. And you're like, who the hell is that guy? Oh, like they're from like, like I almost, I almost said the F word. Like they're from like old, like Alabama money. Yeah. And you're just like, that guy was weird. And you're just like, that was probably a Sterling guy. And then like, we would see Vistiviano all the time at the games and all of the interns, including myself, were always like, who the hell is this girl? And like, why is she kind of off? Like, why is she kind of strange? Cause all of his friends were kind of off and strange. Like, there was one guy I'll never forget, but I don't remember his name. But like, he's always kind of rude. And like, before we could, <laughs> before we could get like our hands in the envelope, he'd be like, "You have my tickets, tickets, tickets." <laughs> like, it became a thing where every time we saw him, like all of the interns would start being like, "Tickets, tickets, tickets," and like all his friends were like that. And like all, and like that's how we like looked at Vistaviano too, and like. When she was the one that dropped the bombshell, all of us were so like, holy crap, the the weird looking girl just saved everything. Like the one that we've been questioning who this lady is that's there all the time and was kind of shady. Like that's the one who saved everything. Like 
that blew our minds so much. I'm going to say something that's kind of like, I guess not great. So in the Sterling affairs, 30 for 30 that Ramona did like the audio cast 30 for 30. I didn't like how they kind of made Shelly, uh, Shelly Sterling, Donald Sterling's wife. Out I, to be, I agree with you. Yeah. They made her out to be like sympathetic. And I'm like, she's not sympathetic. She was standing right beside him as all this stuff happened. She knew what the game was. She was just mad that it all came out in the, in the light. You can't be with someone for that long and be like, I didn't know he was a racist. It's, it's, it's astounding to me. Like she basically blamed it. Like in a weird way, she blames it on V Staviano too. Like, oh, it came out because of her. Like, if this didn't... It's like, well, I'm glad it happened because you needed to go anyways. And the alternative was you running the team and you can't do that. That was my biggest gripe with that and my biggest gripe with the Blackball documentary. It, I, the the one thing I appreciate about it the most is that you get to hear DeAndre Jordan be like, that call in Game 5 of OKC was BS, which is just like awesome to hear them. Oh, still I hated that goddamn call, man. Because now in this area of the NBA... Brother, that call's getting overturned as clipper ball. Well, part of me and my brother, too, was almost kind of like, when it happened, we both kind of felt like, it feels like they just want the Clippers to be out of the picture because of the Sterling stuff, and they and the Sterling stuff isn't going away, and it's so negative for the NBA, and it's such an ugly trial. Like, if we can figure out a way to just wrap it up, let's do it, because that's how it felt to me. Because it's like, how do you make that call? And let me be clear. He got fouled. Reggie Jackson got fouled. 100% Reggie Jackson got fouled. He got hacked across the forearm every day and on Sunday. That's a foul. However, they did not call a foul. And the ball goes off Reggie Jackson's hand, and that's all they're looking at. So all that should matter is that the ball went off Reggie Jackson's hand last, and it should be clipper ball going the other way. But instead, they do that where it's like, oh, yeah, he touched it but he also got fouled so it's kind of not fair so let's give him the ball back it was man and yes, i blame chris by the way too because whatever the hell that that three-quarter court heave stuff was never needed to happen that didn't need to happen but it's also like the foul they called on westbrook's three where they like one finger oh my god elbow like one thing like if you're gonna call that then you have to call the Chris Heave thing. Like there, it was just like a sequence of like they made the three worst calls you could make back to back to back to the point where I'm like, so it seems like they just want the Clippers out of the playoffs because they're past this point of like they're no longer America's team. They're just like the ugly stepchild of the NBA that they need to get out. Now, I want to be clear about something. The Clippers absolutely 100% blew that game. They were up by 13 with four minutes to go. You got to win that game. Yeah. I don't care who you're playing. You gotta win that goddamn game. They like they have the ball. They're up eleven. Jamal Crawford misses a three. They're up eight after Durant comes down and hits that transition three because Durant's basically one of the best in the league I've ever seen at transition threes. They have the ball. They're up eight. Chris Paul misses a jumper. Blake Griff. Uh, yeah, Chris Paul misses two jumpers. Chances to put us to ten. Two and a half to go. Durant gets fouled. Goes to the line twice. DeAndre Jordan uh, turns it over with an offensive foul. Glenn Davis comes in. The Thunder then get three straight shots because of offensive rebounds, but the Clippers have the ball up six with a minute and a half to go. Jamal Crawford misses a three. 
Reggie Jackson makes a layup in transition. Blake Griffin goes to the free throw line, splits a pair of free throws. Chris Paul makes a jumper. They're up seven points, Farbod. 50 seconds left, right? With 49 seconds to go. You know, I remember I had, we have a group chat with all the interns, and I had the text ready. I actually had the text ready saying up 3 2, baby. And like, I didn't send it, but I had it already typed. <laughs> Durant makes a three. On a pull-up. Or not a pull-up. It was a side out of bounds. Excuse me. Jamal misses a layup. Durant comes back down, gets a layup. They're down by two. Kristen turns it over on that heave. Kristen fouls Westbrook on the three. But that was a BS foul. It was. I... I am beside myself at home watching this because they go, they would have been up three, two coming home and, and you would have, you would have had the mother's day comeback game in that back to back. Like that's a wrap. They would have won two games at OKC. It's not even just the two games. It's just that big of a momentum like shift. To have like the 20 point Mother's Day comeback and, and shut them down in their own home game five, like that's a that's enough for you to be like, okay, they got this. But the one thing and I the wrote Clippers led 45 minutes of that game. The um I wrote an article about it that something that Chris said in the documentary that I never really thought of I, I never really thought about where like because I always agreed that they were unlucky, right? A lot of times with all these injuries. And he says, he said, uh, you know, Doc always said to win a championship, you, you had to be lucky. And, right. we, and we were never lucky. And that's what Chris says. And it's like, when you think about it, like, it's one thing to be injured, but it's another thing that, like, even when they were healthy, they never got a break. Like, even when they were healthy, they had to go against, like, a, a fully healthy Thunder squad with an MVP Durant only for the next series for Ibaka to be out and get and give the Spurs a break. Or See, like, the, thing, the thing that pissed me off with the Clippers is in game six, I'm there for game six at home at Staples Center. Game six, Ibaka gets hurt. Nick Collison comes in, and I will remember this until the day I die. Nick Collison, at the end of the third quarter, hits in transition, hits a corner three to tie the game. Yeah. And I remember thinking... I told my friend I was with at the game with, I literally turned and said, and I'm, I'll bleep this out on the, when I release this, we're f- because it felt like the kind of thing. It felt like we were hitting a three. Yeah. Like it was so, it was so asinine to see that I knew it was the end and it didn't matter what they were going to do in the fourth. Yeah. It was, I mean, I mean, I don't know if you agree, but like to me, it was just like for all the bad breaks they got, they never got a good break. Like they yeah. never had to go against another team who was missing. Like you look at Kawhi last year, didn't have to play KD or KD or Clay. You look at like the Warriors, every single run they've ever had, they didn't have to face Kawhi. They didn't have to face this person. They didn't have to face Kyrie. They didn't have, like the Clippers never got that once in any playoff series ever. Like, they the never only, got a break. The only break I think they got was Rudy Gobert going down in game one and not playing game two. Yeah, and but then, even, 
like Blake goes out yeah, for Blake a long time. Yeah. yeah, Blake's Blake only plays three games. Yeah, like every time you think they're gonna get a break, they don't get a break. Like Steph going down uh just like 2016 Steph going down and so then they're going against the Blazers and you're like oh this is gonna be easy and then both guys go out like they were always the ones giving other teams the break and they had never gotten a break ever whereas like even the Lakers game seven Kendrick Perkins goes down they got a break like against Memphis remember like Blake uh Blake rolls his ankle or something like that yeah on on Odom no, I think it was in practice. He rolled it in Yeah, practice. that's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. Like, there and was then the Clippers lose that series. Yeah, there, there's honestly, other than that Gobert thing one time, there's never been a moment where, where I'm like, wow, they got really lucky. Like, it was only they got unlucky. I think that kind of sums up the Clippers in a lot of ways. Like, if you didn't have bad luck, you'd have no luck at all. Yep. Just like my Friday nights on Tinder, and that's okay. A okay, um, and we're done. The entire Quibi thing's out, uh, blackballed, right? Yeah, they released it early. It's it's weird to relive that time because, in a lot of ways, it brings back such crap memories, but also it brings up such good memories, like. Game five, you know, like uh, the game seven, watching Doc Rivers go absolutely wild, pumping his fist on the sideline as they win game seven against the Warriors. You know, like those are moments I'll always remember. I'll remember being at game five until I die, like just how weird it felt. But then watching them win that game, um, you know, and then obviously Bomber buys the team like a month later and, you know, a lot of stuff's changed. Like they're not. You know, this ain't this this ain't even your older brother clippers right now. Like it's crazy to see the tectonic shift that one franchise has made. And let's be honest, that was six years ago. A half decade ago. We're not even talking 10, 15, 20 years. This isn't the last dance where we're going back 22 years to talk about this. This happened six years ago, and so much has changed, Farbod. It's not the team today that they were then, both on the floor, off the floor, and in the front office. The the staggering shift, both in basketball intelligence and just what I perceive to be moral intelligence, at least from what we know, is absolutely insane to me. I already gave my Tinder line and I said I was done. So I don't know why you're still talking. Cause like I'm, I dropped the mic. I'm out. I hate you so much. Um, look folks, it's been a rough time in the world because of everything going on. Obviously we just relived what was a rough time, but it's therapeutic because I look at it as you learn and you move on. And the Los Angeles Clippers franchise learned and they've moved on with bigger, better, brighter things. And whenever the season resumes, we're talking about a team with a legitimate title chance better than they've ever had. And if you would have told me, Farbod, six years ago on this exact date, that the Los Angeles Clippers would be in better shape than they are Right now, going forward six years from now, 
I wouldn't have believed you. But they are. And we have to embrace that. Am I wrong? I dropped the mic, dude. Why don't you get it? I've been Justin Russo. My co-host is Farbad Esnashari. Folks, stay safe. Social distance. And eat Cinnabon. I'm out. Okay. Everyone, take it easy and have a good night. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.